Hello and welcome to Newsnight. I am Ladi Akiri Duluale. It's our pleasure to have you join us today. With the nation's security challenges continuing to take a toll on its development aspirations, new and innovative ways must be found to deal with the situation. My guest on the program today thinks the traditional institutions are essential in providing stability to communities where such challenges are most prevalent. My guest also thinks a unique democratic model which incorporates modern as well as traditional leaders in its ranks will help hasten the realization of development, peace and stability. Newsnight talks to the 21st Ulu of Wari, His Royal Majesty Game Atuatse III. Your Majesty, thank you for your time. Welcome. Thank you. Fortuitously, it's about a year since you ascended this throne, and uh, the throne is hundreds of years old. But you're a modern monarch, highly educated, very exposed. And so I'll ask you what I asked you before we came on, and which is, how do you make the transition between a modern monarch and an ancient stool, an ancient throne? Well, um, I think, first of all, I don't think I have perfected it yet. It's impossible. And it's something you will, you will grow in. It's like wearing skin, new skin, and you're getting comfortable in your skin. But there is an image that comes to mind as you ask that question. And you look at things as centers of power. Um, bidet, thrones, authority, seats of power. And these things are timeless. And one tries to look at it almost through spiritual lens as well. In that my ancestors before me, all the way back to 1480, uh, if I were to appear in the spiritual realm, God could call me Ginua, and I cannot say, no, I am Atuashe. So it's like, it's still the same link. So how do you own it while you are the one presently occupying it? And you cannot do away with those who came before you. And so it's literally, it's a balancing act because things I think I suppo are supposed to be somewhat flexible, not free fall, flexible, like a river, the path the river goes. And rivers do not just flow straight or compromising, they meander, but whatever comes their way, they will, they will cut through. So that image serves, it helps me to not be overwhelmed because if you think about it too much it can be overwhelming one of your first acts at your coronation and i'm sure a lot of people have noted that and possibly asked you about it was the fact that you lifted by authority an ancient curse placed by one of your forebears. Um, 
which you felt was hindering certain things. But many wondered why you did it immediately you assumed the authority, which for someone like me assumed that you had been thinking about it even before that. As the spiritual, cultural, political, and traditional ruler of this land, I, Ogiame Atuashe III, the 21st Olu of Wari, the first son of Olu Atuashe II, the grandson and direct descendant of Olu Erejua II, who was offended on this throne, I hereby reverse the curse placed over this land. Why? The quickest answer to that is um, analysis paralysis. If you thought too much about it, you would have felt, let me consult widely, this is not the time, uh, let's do it like this. And before you know it, years would have passed. Situations and circumstances more important would have arisen. And before you know it, it would be, you know what, let's just not bother with it. And so no time is as good as the present. Why not go out to the bank and um, not just clearing the road for my person or my people, but I want Nigeria to associate my coming with goodness, setting, it, setting the ground right for everyone on that day. So that was really the thought behind it. And it just came out the way it did. Are you worried about our general security situation? Well, the short answer is yes. And I think every Nigerian is concerned with their own security as well as the general security. Um, we have seen the numbers for many years the, that this country is under-policed. There are not enough men in service. And um, we know the federal government always does its best to ensure that it protects lives and properties. That is its first responsibility. And um, sometimes the situation gets a bit too uh, tense and the security personnel may be a bit overwhelmed and that may leave many people naturally feeling, you know, there is, um, there is a gap here and how do we bridge that gap? And obviously one never takes laws into one's hands. We will always cooperate with the government to say, look, how can we assist you to ensure that there isn't a total breakdown? So that concern always makes us more, makes us quick to liaise with, um, with the government and even to think amongst ourselves to say, look, how can we be creative? How can we be proactive within the law? Which is very, very important because you cannot be seen to be trying to uh, fix a situation and then you end up violating the law and then you end up being persecuted for what was supposed to be a fix. So yes, it's a, um, do I call it like a chicken and egg? You know, which one goes first? You know, so yes, it's a, it's a concern.
it's a concern, but we are always um, talking with our local government chairman, with our governor, and with um, the federal, with the federal capital, be the IG of police and the rest of the security apparatus. Always looking to see how we can help in that short form. There are those who would say, look, there should be a proper constitutional rule like there was before for traditional rulers in safeguarding communities because they get to hear mm. first if anything is going wrong before it becomes a real problem and people tend to trust them more because they see them every day. They go to them usually when there are other issues. So security is no different. Whereas they may hesitate to approach any of the security agencies because of this deficit. So I ask you, should we go back? Do you think, I mean, given where we are now in terms of our security challenge, should we go back to that? I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, there is serious consideration being given to the matter. Uh, obviously, this is just a year in. Uh, but I think a lot has to be considered with an open mind. We have a constitution as it is. A lot will argue that it's flawed and certain things were omitted. That's fine. And, but those who put it together, put it together with, with the best they had available to them, they put a framework together. And I believe constitutions should be living and breathing documents with time when it is glaring to all beyond a shadow of a doubt that changes need to be made. I think everybody should come together and say, okay, how can we make a change that improves on what was previously existing? And as you said, there once was the constitution that uh, officially recognized uh, our role as traditional rulers. And uh, I think it is gradually going back in that direction. It's being considered and I would encourage that, that it should be because we are only here for the benefit, for the betterment, for the improvement of this nation, nothing more. Many people link that to the economic situation and um, the fact that there's a paucity of opportunities, uh, many of the very young who should be at the vanguard of employment are not. And from what I've seen in the last about 12 months, you seem to be very concerned about that. But given, about, given your background, of course, in economics, uh, that shouldn't really come as a total surprise. What do you think we should be doing now to tackle that? Because there are those who point to the fact that if we don't tackle that, there's nothing we can do about security that will continue to push many down the road of crime right. and other such things. Right. It's, um, I don't even know if calling it a ticking time bomb is appropriate anymore because it's getting so close. What is um, the unemployment rate right now? 30 something? Percent, yeah. And we have a very young population. These young men and women have energy and they have time and if they are not using their energy and time in a productive 
direction, then you can be sure it's going to be in a counterproductive direction. It's just simple logic. And so, um, while it's not a situation that is unique to Nigeria, we have to embrace any and every creative measure once again within a legal framework that engages these young men and women. Um, I know sometimes there's a tendency to want to uh, not be too quick to go in an uncharted course because you feel, oh, there's no control. It could just spin out and maybe the status, the status quo could no longer be the status quo. Uh, but these things should be guided. There should be real guards. Because if we just say, oh, because we have no idea, we can't just do that. God forbid. Another few years could pass. It could become 40%. And if you think you have a problem now, what would happen when it's 40%? Or what would happen, God forbid, should it become 40%? So I think open-mindedness right now is something that should be encouraged, not just to the government, to private, um, the private sector. And uh, I actually feel, a lot of people say, let's go back to the farm. Let's go back to the land. That's good. I also feel there is an untapped economy in this country. And that is, we ourselves, the traditional uh, institution. And by that, I actually mean our culture, our identity, our traditions are largely um, celebrated by us, but we have not been able to properly tap into it, commercialize it. I don't know, I don't know if I want to say commercialize, but when you look at what happens in Jebuodi or Judeoba. That for me is just, you are just scratching the surface of what, of the potential of an economy that can be created around tradition and culture. And we have not yet started looking in that direction. So before everybody wanted to be in oil and gas, banking, uh, what is it? I don't even know what everybody wants to be in now. Um, Bitcoin or, oh, yeah. you know, cryptocurrency. And all those economies, all those sectors, people who are rushing in there find there is not, there's no room there anymore. So, yes, not everybody is quick to say they want to run back to the farm because the farm usually does not mean Lagos or Abuja. It most likely means your hometown. Yeah. And they are not too quick after spending all money on all that money being educated thinking do I go back to my hometown where there's no light where there's no security you know so these are the things that don't even make agriculture so so um attractive in the first place you know if everybody had if Lagos was like Abuja and was surrounded by such land oh trust me everybody in Lagos would go to the farm <laughs> but for the prospect of going to the farm you know Shobo uh, you know they would think twice about it you know so I think um but we as natural rallying points as i use the jebo as an example every jebo man should be proud to go back home 
and say, I want to witness what's going on in the palace. Same for every Shekiri man coming here. So when they come and they are not just entertained, they are not just, uh, they don't just come here and feel proud. They come here and they see there is an economy here. With those two things already laid as foundations, it will be easier to say it is worth coming here to identify as an Ishekiri man and, should I say, profit, where there is no HR saying we have employed as many Ishekiris as possible, we are equal opportunity, we are employed Yoruba, Igbo, it doesn't arise. And so you have that here, Benin, Ife, all over the country, you've built an economy. So. In Wari itself, which is your kingdom, your, your, your domain, um, some of those I've spoken to since I arrived um, have said that they're looking forward to seeing you uh, put into action some of the plans you outlined. And uh, since we're talking about employment, and I believe what you just talked about also has to do with a large element of tourism as well, uh, you know, marketing and selling the traditional institutions as a point of attraction, uh, not just for people from Nigeria, but from elsewhere. Um, many people will point to the British monarchy as a, as a very good example of a very well-marketed product. Uh, the Queen's... Uh, Platinum Jubilee. Platinum Jubilee was just a couple of weeks ago and mm -hmm. we saw the crowds and not all of them were English. Uh, some were from Nigeria mm -hmm. who went there mm -hmm. and they spent money in that economy, stayed in hotels, bought yeah. food, yeah. bought souvenirs, yeah. bought tickets and all of that. Yeah. So that's, I assume, is what the kind of thing you're talking about. Exactly. exactly. What do you think, what do you plan for your community here uh, in terms of bringing out that uniqueness of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you've already given one example, but what else? Um, we already have a, uh, an innovative program. Well, I don't want to call it a program, an innovative tradition, which started December last year called Gigo Agofe. Say and that again? Gigo Agofe. Uh, okay. It's easy to just think about it like, as you had already referred to um, the British monarchy, just think about it like the change of the guard, which everybody goes to see. And once again, it's not just simply um, watching one community come in and another community go out. In doing that, we are also um, opening ourselves up to the over 200 communities that comprise of this kingdom, letting them know that they are part and parcel of this palace, but also those who are from the communities, I'm told, who haven't even necessarily been back in a long time, when they hear, oh, their community has an opportunity to come and dance before the monarch, they are flying in from all over to participate in that dance. That is good. But I want it to get to a point where, um, out of curiosity, worry, I, well, I can't say all of worry, this part of worry where the palace is shuts down for a couple of hours because people want to see. And that, once again, is showing you the potential of coming up with innovative ideas. Instead of just waiting every, every year or every so often for there's something happening in the palace. And sometimes it's um, 
not necessarily open to the public that the public cannot appreciate. So doing something that is crowd-friendly, educative, informative, and also entertaining. So that is now, um, December to now is what? How many months is that? About seven, seven, eight months. We have gone through the first uh, three because it's every quarter. So, and it will be happening every quarter throughout the length of this reign. And it's something that I hope will outlive me. It is expected to outlive me. Everything that will be introduced. And there is a lot. And I'm actually pinching myself wondering how much can I say here. Um, everything that comes up, God willing, will outlive me. And it will only get better with those who come after me to improve on it. And uh, I want to tie that to the first question you asked about being modern, coming here to meet something that is ancient. That knowledge that you have acquired in these modern times, you are supposed to come and improve, magnify, beautify. Same. That could prove to be difficult, shall we say. It's not supposed to be easy. Part of the reason uh, is that by, I don't know whether it's an antithesis, if you, if you like, um, tradition dislikes change. And sometimes uh, there are people, sub-institutions, which will say no. For the last 500 years, this is how we have been doing it. Now you want to alter that, uh, we don't agree. Uh, so you're going to be facing that. That's apart from the skepticism of those who are looking at you and like saying, hmm. what makes him think this is going to work? Now, let me once again try to repeat something. These things are expected. If it were a cakewalk, everybody would do it. And traditions are good. Make no mistake about it. For me, I feel there is a meeting point. There is always room for hmm, room for maneuvering. An image that comes to my mind now is the Great Grand Canyon in America. It is magnificent. Rocks, powerful traditions. But the river cuts through that rock. It takes time. And it adds to the majesty and to the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And so I see myself as that river. It's not going to come one time, boom. It is going to be come and come again and come again. Interesting with the water analogy, considering the appellation that I bear. But I think all that adds to the, to the fun bag, to the beauty that is this ancient throne. And so it's not even to cause war. It's not even to cause conflict. It is to even demonstrate 
sorry, I, I use analogies a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of yet another analogy. There is the idea of a temple. And there is the idea of a tabernacle. Temples are permanent. You build it, boom. But there is also the idea of tabernacling. Leave the temple and venture. And in venturing, you will tabernacle as you go. You will set up a tent. And then once you have gained all you can gain, you will collapse and you will move. And oftentimes you will find your way back to that temple. So it's almost about letting go and let the experience happen. Eventually, you never do away fully with the temple. You will come back. So it's about trusting that everything will come full circle. And in coming full circle, you beautify, you improve. And I just hope that uh, those who may want to resist and see themselves as temples, fine, occupy the temple. We'll be back in full circle. We're not, we're not knocking it down. We're not doing away with it. We're coming back. Interesting. Yeah. The other thing that a lot of people say, which incidentally is becoming more difficult to do, is that traditional rulers like yourselves, who I again point out, modern, young, highly educated, exposed, should stay away from politics and political developments. Uh, yet, as head of communities, what you are, what you are in fact doing is that in many respects, you are the political heads of your communities because what the president does at the federal level is what you're doing at your community level. And you probably have longer years of exposure to methods and, uh, and seeing examples of this than anybody in that position could have. So is it really a fallacy to say that traditional institutions should stay away from politics? Well, it depends on um, how you really want to magnify that statement. I believe human beings are political animals, period. In, even in hindsight, when you think about some things that happened in primary school, you know, it was our own politicking, but we did not know that we were politicking. But obviously, as you get older and you now realize this is what this is. And the thing about politics is if you are not careful, it can consume you. And the idea that you do not want a throne, an establishment like this to be consumed in politics, it's a good idea. It must be protected because if you are on the wrong end of the development, the victor could decide, let me demonstrate power. As they have in the past. As they have in the past. So I understand that is where that statement comes from. And I have no problems with that. However, in terms of, but I think the, what, what, they are, what it is, which I support is partisan politics. You should not openly identify and embrace one party because there's no explanation you want to give. You are basically telling the other party that, I'm sorry, I don't support you and I am against you. That thing, that in that way, you don't even have to say anything. They'll come for you. So it's 
it's about improving on either side of the political aisle, political divide, however many parties there are, encouraging your people to be political, to engage and participate in partisan politics, hoping that when they go there, they are not, um, they are not thermometers, they are thermostats. They go there and they influence what is discussed, what is determined in those political parties so that it reflects the good that you want to uh, champion from here. And I think that is fair. And I think I would encourage everybody in a position like this to do that to all their, all their subjects, to go and be actively involved. And even if I were not a monarch, I would still maintain that stance because there is this expression in the, in the United States that if you did not vote, you should not complain because, you know, you decided to sit back and either, you know, be a pundit and say, analyze or, oh, I'm not going to vote because I don't feel my vote will count. You shouldn't complain because you did not participate in the process. So how much more so when you are now a leader of men, you should encourage them to go and um, improve the parties or the positions that they are in, which is all for the betterment of this nation. In the case of Nigeria, um, you, you, ref you referenced the United States quite a bit. And um, US democracy is more than 200 years old. Uh, they've had the ups and downs. They still have the problems that come with democracy mm -hmm. up until now. But it's a fairly newer concept in this part of the world, at least Western-style democracy is a newer, a newer concept. But we have embraced it somewhat, even though in many places in Nigeria, um, the people don't completely agree. Uh, and why do I say that? I say that, that, again, because at the community level, they're used to discussions, counter-arguments, at various recognized fora, but at the end of the day, you get to take the decision. Now that doesn't completely fly, in the, that doesn't completely fly in the face of what we know today to be Western style democracy, which is where at the end of all the arguments, then, you know, we all raise our hands and then those whose hands are more, you know, win which leaves very little room for those whose arguments, uh, you know, didn't quite. But it brings me back again to the role of the monarch, because if you go through history, what many monarchs do is to aggregate the views of everyone so that nobody comes away mm -hmm. thinking I won and nobody comes away thinking I lost, which in democracy is a problem up until now. In that kind of situation, again, I, I must go back to what you, we, we talked about uh, earlier, which is the monarch politics, participatory democracy, and outcomes. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> a few thoughts came into my mind as you were crafting the question. But more recently, I thought, I thought about Britain and how the monarchy in Britain 
does a good job in sort of, um, once again, a country that has no constitution, uh, does a good job in sort of like balancing the equation. Uh, fortunately, the queen, she's a sovereign. You can't exactly apply that here because you would have, I don't know how many sovereign one acts in Nigeria trying to be a part in, play a part in the political, it will, it will be a bit chaotic. So, it's tricky. It's actually tricky. But I think therein lies an opportunity for there to be a Nigerian-style democracy. And I don't even think democracy should be the word. A Nigerian-style round table coming together where um, at kingdom level or the units, things are thoroughly discussed. There's a timeline. And once it is so agreed, after whatever way they have come to their conclusions, be it the monarch or the representative has the mandate to now go to the center to present the position of the people. I think that would be, that would be more um, accurate in capturing the desires and the uniqueness of our people. It's experimental. I listened to a podcast once about uh, student government, and uh, once again in America, about you know, people campaigning for student government. And it was an experiment that was done over five years. Do you know what they found? Those who lobby for the position, campaign for the position, and they are great politicians. Yes, they, they, they win. But those in the control experiment who did not lobby, but knew they had a desire to serve, they brought marbles, basically ballots. And if you picked a certain color, it's like it was your destiny to go and serve. They ended up performing better than those who were charismatic and campaigning and lobbying for it. And I, and I was, I could not believe what I was listening to on that podcast. And I thought, hmm, I think Africans would like the concept of, let me go and stand before this thing. And if it is my luck, maybe that luck will carry me to serve better and all that. Because once you have... Um, lobbied so much you know you've made promises and it's like they've taken so much away from you by the time you want to start it's sort of like a lot of eyes are looking at you like well here you are here you are you know so i think um we should never be too afraid to reconsider our own style of governance in this country Obviously, it's, there are too many vested interests after 60 odd years, 60 plus years of the involvement of our democracy. Um, but when you say America started in a particular way, uh, and I think we actually did, we're off to a good start. When you look at uh, how America started as democracy, there were a lot of duels, you know, Anthony right. Hamilton, you know. Uh, Aaron Burr shooting themselves. Somebody who could have been president was killed because he had a personal disagreement and nobody was arrested. It was a duel. 
you know, and uh, they were they were quite gangster in their early years. But here we are now, 270-something, 280-something years, they now seem to have perfected it. Some would argue today that it appears as if it's now on the decline. So it makes you wonder, you know, is that the natural path of democracies? You know, I don't know. But I think we should always be quick to look inwards and innovate than look outwards to borrow and perfect what we are borrowing. Copy and paste. Copy and paste. Let me bring you to, since you said look inwards out. One of the things that was or that is particularly unique about us here uh, is language as an aspect of culture. And many would say today, many of our generation and yours uh, and older learned to speak the native languages, sometimes even before they learned to speak English, which came up when they went to school. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that now, the native languages are not being learned. In fact, in many instances, they are being actively discouraged uh, while people learn English and they learn French and more recently Mandarin, which is Chinese yeah. and so on. And that as a result, we, it may not be immediate, but at some point, not too far, we're going to get to the stage where we are all speaking English, even when we could speak uh, traditional languages, which marked us out as a different identity from, from anyone else. I mean, I know that Ishakiri is both a group of people, but it's also a language. Uh, and there are, like, it's like that for most groups in Nigeria, of which, depending on who you're listening to, there may be up to 500 of them. What do you make of that? This is something that really tugs at me, because... As I have said in some interviews in the past, I am a victim of that too. And we see the way we were raised, we who were raised in the 80s, you know, um, because education was such a priority. And there's no way you can blame our parents because once again, the impression was what is going to sustain the children that they are raising is an education, a Western-styled education, not a Nigerian-styled education. So that was where the investment was. That was where it was push them, push them, push them, push them. And I'm not saying education is bad, but unfortunately, it had severe consequences. I want to turn the angle elsewhere, turn the camera elsewhere. When you look at Japan, India, Thailand, and I would even like to focus more on Thailand and Japan, because these are two places that have monarchies. But these are two places that are so technologically advanced, especially Japan. And I think our parents were so bent on feeling foreign um, influence was coming from the West and that we would be so, the West was the way to go. But there was also that fear that we will become so Western 
we would drop everything traditional and have no regards for it. Uh, and that was obviously as a result of media propaganda. It's only now that the East is really picking up that we're even really looking in the direction of Dubai and China and all of that in the last 25 years or so. But what really fascinates me about the Japanese is they are actually technologically more advanced than the United States. Cell phones that the average Japanese man uses is more advanced than what they are using in the United States. And for all that technological advancement, the Japanese man speaks his language and he does not play with the emperor. For all their modern hip hop, when they see the emperor of Japan, they fall on the floor. And they're able to reconcile that. So even Apple or anybody coming to do anything in Japan, your instructions and everything is in Japanese because they have decided to hold their own and say, you will do it in our language. You will do it in, you do it in, in um, Thai. You will do it in Russian. You will do it in Indian and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, in Africa, especially here in Nigeria, where we have so many languages, you imagine if Apple was to come here which Nigerian language would they choose to use? Yoruba, Hausa, Igbo? And the rest of us would be like, what about us? And I'm sure Apple will say, oh, I'm sorry, we can only do three. I'm even surprised um, the language that is so well widely spoken in Africa, which is Swahili. Apple does not even have keyboard in Swahili, which is very interesting. I know Yoruba and uh, Hausa are probably more widely spoken, but I'm saying that to say, we do need to do better as Africans. Even when we want to embrace technology, education, because once again, once we hold our own, whatever the technological advancement is in the world, when it comes to you, it will have to take it in your, in your tone, in your image, in your color, in your language. So once again, and as I said, I, suffer, I am a victim terrible victim of it. But I wear it and I'm daily trying to undo it. You know, I cannot shy away from it. Can I, can I press you a bit on that point? How are you a victim? I am a victim because English was how I was raised. You know, it was almost as though invest in Western education. And of course, we embraced it because that was what we thought the future was. And um, thank God Nigeria is the one. And, and, and beyond that, I dare say, uh, maybe I shouldn't say too much, but since I've already started speaking, I think why it was also easy for our parents to do that is that sometimes there isn't really this real sense or belief that Nigeria will be great, that Nigeria will be better. So it's almost like we do things, even the way we govern ourselves today, almost like get all you can now because it will not exist tomorrow. Get all the money out because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. But if we approach things generally knowing that it will be there in a hundred years, so let us- I Let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. I think across the board, we will be a better country, a prouder country. And that brings me, the technology you mentioned brings me to something else. Um, again, this is this balance between modernity and tradition. Um, if I had a Shakiri man 
uh, I don't expect that without an appointment, I can walk in and demand to see you. But I can send you a text. I can send you a WhatsApp message. Yes. I can even record a voice note, which can be played back by you or for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, that opportunity presents itself for many who would otherwise not be able to get information across to you, to get problems across to you, to do so without having to jump the hoops of protocol. Yes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing in your, in your view? Well, I think um, it is a magnified version of fan mail in the 70s, where people would write letters to the president and there was a department that was hand, hand going through and I guess you felt, oh, this is the most important, the president should respond to this and all that. Now it's a bit more intrusive. It's literally your phone dings and you're looking at your phone, you know, like, who is this? Like all things invented, fire is good and bad. WhatsApp is good and bad. And so you have to, I suppose, uh, be creative with it. Have a small team that answers messages that are sent to Ogyame's phone. Is there something else I can help with? Here we go, Siri, invasive. Mm -hmm. uh, have a small team that answers every message that is sent to Ogyame, which obviously is not personal, which is, Baba, here is my situation. Here is my suggestion. Mm -hmm. And I guess they can also sort of assist in collating and also responding so that the people sending those messages don't feel, you know, they pick phone, you know? No, they reply. No, they reply. But do, do you have ever have the fear that, and I know you alluded to it at the beginning, even before we started the interview, that you could be cut off from your people. Yes, I think historically, <clears throat> this has always been uh, a big issue. You read accounts of Roman emperors and even uh, some European monarchs who, on that cover of night, would escape from their palace, cloak, and uh, just go and stand, stand by the fire, act as though they were drinking, just to hear what the people were saying. Uh, obviously, as you said, it's more difficult to do. Then there wasn't um, media. A lot of people probably didn't even know what the emperor looked like if he was not in his regalia. So if he dressed down, the emperor could walk past half of his empire and nobody would know. But now your face is on billboards and TV. So you, even if you try to dress down, oh, they will notice you, definitely. So obviously you cannot uh, get direct information that way anymore. But... Um, I think God seeing your heart's desire to want to do right by your people, the truth will find its way to you. It could be somebody who came to visit you for an unrelated reason could just feel the need to say, I think you should know this, you know. Your handlers, your chiefs may not tell you, but I think it's important that you pay attention to this. 
And I think when those messages come, you take it for, um, for the gold nugget that it is and not discard it. Your Majesty, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's our program today. We would, of course, like to hear from you on the conversation. Our social media handles are right there on your screen. You can also listen to this and previous episodes of the program via our podcast. Please visit our website, channelstv.com forward slash podcast to get started. I am Ladi Akiridulwale. Goodbye.